We'd first like to acknowledge the traditional lands on which the podcast is produced. We've travelled to and spoken to people all across Southern Australia for this series. We'd like to pay our utmost respects to the First Nations Australians who have told stories on this land for thousands of years. G'day, I'm Ollie Laleve and welcome to GRDC In Conversation. This series takes you behind the scenes as we sit down with some of the people shaping our grain industry, uncovering their journeys, learning more about their passions and the projects that are part of their everyday. We're covering Southern Australia's grain growing regions, chatting with researchers, advisors, growers, advocates, and just about everyone in between. Today we're sitting down with Dan Bingham. He's the owner of Bingham Agriculture. Now you might have seen one part of their business, but there's a whole nother bit which sits beneath the surface. Dan started his life on his family's property just near Bacchus Marsh. Today, home is just near Skipton, where he runs his agriculture business, including Bingham Contracting, as well as Bingham Farming. Dan is incredibly passionate about seeing young people come into farming. He looks to empower people within his own workforce, encouraging them and giving them opportunities and responsibilities within the business, with the machines, and taking the next steps. Today, about 25% of his staff are female, a number that he's excited to see continue to grow. With five daughters, it's certainly an area with their various interests in agriculture that there is a real possibility for more of them to come into his business as it continues to grow. From a business point of view, Dan provides some background as to how his two businesses complemented each other. The contracting business was able to provide cash flow, while the farming business was able to provide assets, which would allow him to get through some of those tougher times. It's a fascinating chat as he talks about everything from learning through other farmers, through contracting, watching what worked for them and what didn't, and then being able to apply it into his own business. Enjoy the chat. Can you tell us a little bit about your business that you're running here on, on both the farming side and contracting? Yeah, so we're, we're farmers here at uh, Skipton and we also have a contracting business. Um, they're both, they both run their own set of books so we know which one's making profit and which one's losing or vice versa just so that um, for operation side of things we know which business to grow and which one not to. But at the same time... That was the idea, but I just love both of them, so neither of them seems to be slowing down. Was that always the plan, or, or was the contracting a, a way to support the farming business? Uh, the contracting was just a necessity to get things started and also probably got a fair bit of energy and did have a lot more when I was young, and uh, the farm was probably just too small to keep me busy, so it was a way to um, get things going cash flow wise and also learn like I've learnt so much through contracting through good customers um, and seeing what they've done right and wrong that um, it's really helped me to farm like it's made our farm really good by being able to pick the good bits out and this southern region you're you're a Bacchus Marsh boy but this this area around Skipton has been home for a little while was it always the dream to continue farming around here yeah, we're originally from Bacchus Marsh. Um, my father and grandfather were farmers down there. Urbanisation probably squeezed us out of that area and up into this area, which is really good. I was only uh, 12 or 13 at the time, um, but um, it's been really good to us. It's such a secure, good area and good people around here that, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good journey. How's the area changed for you? Has it 
been traditionally sheep and then transitioned into into cropping what's that been like through your lifetime and and your time farming here yeah the area's really changed a lot i think when i used to drive to ballarat from where we live i would have passed about 30 farms now we'd be lucky to pass two a lot of those farms are gone like everywhere in australia um, farms have got bigger quicker and a lot of family farm farms have gone well i've seen that in this area too we've luckily been one that's stuck i suppose and the little town of skipton's pub even got lost a few years ago was it a flood or something that caused that to wash away yeah we had a flood um 15 years ago and that that flooded their pub away which has been bad probably for the community um and i don't mind a beer so it's been bad but it's probably better for our weight i I guess um when a town like skipton loses anything like that though it's 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 pretty hard luckily we've still got a hospital and a good footy club and and a lot of good people around that keep the community together um there has been talk of us buying the pub uh, a few farmers and getting going again but we all seem pretty busy so we'll see what happens in the future not going to add publican next year, no? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I've got enough um, things to do at the moment. Yeah. Your pathway through high school and into farming and running your own business, what, what did that start off like for you as a, as a teenager? What were the ambitions? Yeah, well, I guess high school wasn't really a thing for me. I went to a really good school and probably learned a lot while I was there, but they were probably happy to see me go. Um, and... I come back to farming at the end of the wool crash and things were pretty tight on the farm. So I guess I was nearly forced into it and I was forced at that point to buy a bit of land too, which at the time um, seemed a bit hard, but it actually helped me to get going in the long run. So I'd actually like actually encourage young people to start farming as soon as possible because that's what happened to me and that's actually what started good things happening. And for you guys, it hasn't just been a, a quick buy and acquisition. You were saying you started as a young fella buying country. So how did that, like what, what were those first farms looking like that you actually got your foot into owning your own country? Yeah, well, I guess our first farms were a family farm that was about to get lost. Some corporates were about to buy it and I actually was able to buy a little bit of that. And then me and my father and my wife, Jill, decided well we better do some hard work and get things going so um, we more or less went and found some paddocks to share farm lease contract just do whatever we could with them to get um, cash flow moving my first farm was $128,000 and it's the only bit of land I've ever sold to buy my next house block and I sold it for 160000 probably three years later so I learnt then that that was probably the easiest money ever made was uh, land price going up. So, Did that start to set a bit of a mentality for you around that emotional connection to, to country? or? Um, well, I've, I've never sold any land since. That was only to get a house block because we didn't have a house when we were young. It's, I guess I've just followed the road. I've never, I've never tried. My main driver is to have happy staff, good, healthy, happy crops and good machinery and I wouldn't care if I had uh, one tractor 
and one header as long as it was in good condition or 50 of them. Um, you know, they're my main drivers. And I think interestingly, you were, we were chatting before down at the shed and you've got a bunch of your staff working on different machines now. That, that philosophy carries through. And Can you tell us how you kind of empower your employees to really feel like they've got ownership in the business? Yeah, well, I think we started... Well, we did start with one machine and um, all my employees, I like them to feel ownership in things. Um, they need to be happy and want to be in farming and agriculture. Um, like-minded to me. Um, that's what drives the business forward, I think. Um, they all have their own machines that they work on and, and we don't um, swap them around at all unless they want to move higher in the business. Um, that's the philosophy behind it. Your business today, can can you run us through a bit of the split? So Bingham Agriculture has a couple of sides. Can you run us through what's happening on each side of the business? Mm. So when I started... Um, we had a farm and we had contracting and they were both very small, just with one paddock each, I suppose. And then they've slowly grown over 30 years and they've actually both grown at the same rate, which is really good and really interesting. Um, I couldn't have d- tried to do it better myself if I wanted to. So contracting's a, a cash flow business where sometimes there's not a lot of profit in it. There might be marginal profit but it's turnover and um, banks love turnover. Um, on the other side of things, the farm side of things, um, I, if you have equity in land, it's, it's a good asset. So when there's no contracting to do, you've actually got an asset to keep you rolling. So they both work hand in hand through good and bad years to um, help each other along. And I couldn't have designed it like that if I tried but that's actually what happened and now it's, it's going along really well. Your contracting business, whereabouts do you guys head and whereabouts are your clients? So the contracting business is spread all up the eastern seaboard. We work for, I think, some of the best farmers in Australia in the best areas and so that enables us to um, have a chance even on a, on a tough year. Some of the better farmers will still have a little bit to do. So... And having geographical spread is more or less like a farm having different crops on the same farm because some areas will be good in some years and some areas will be bad. And if you have a good spread of areas, then um, there's always one or two good ones and one or two bad ones and it's a matter of shifting the machines to where where they're most required, I suppose. And as the contracting business has grown, you've brought in more and more kind of young people and stepping into management and, and those areas. What are some of the learnings you've had there in terms of bringing people in, finding the right seat for people and being able to focus on, I'll say the strategic side, but really growing the business mm. as opposed to being on the machine? I, right from the word go, one of my main strategies, and just because I love it, is to get young people into agriculture. When I left school and went into agriculture, it was nearly a bad word. Like The idea was to... Uh, go and get a trade in case you go broke on your farm and then it's something to go back to. And I just couldn't get around that concept. I just thought, you know, that's like giving up before you start. So I always like to encourage and get young people into agriculture um, really early um, and train them and nurture them. And our farm's good for that because it's in-house and we can weather them from a storm, like from a customer, 
and then when they're trained, then we can put them out in the paddock with the customer and the customer realises that they um, has good confidence in them and then they can proceed contracting. So we love young people to train and we also have quite a few girls in our business now. I think the ratio is probably 25% girls and we're finding them really good too. They match it up to the guys. Uh, they've got a point to prove. Uh, they're often very smart and they go really well. So we're not opposed to that at all. Is, is that a new thing, seeing more women come into the industry and working for, for you guys in this grain space, particularly down here through the southwest? Has that been a trend that you've seen just over the last few years or has it been kind of building for the last little while? I guess um, agriculture has changed a fair bit. Now it's like now with machinery, girls can operate it very easily. Like it used to be very manual. Now it's more uh, the smarts are what get it done. So that's why the girls are shining because they're very smart, some of them, as well as the now the blokes that work for us. But and you've got um, you've got five daughters, so there is a, a few potential seats for them as well in in different areas. And have any of them come back into the business? Uh, yeah, I've got five daughters. Um, I guess during the week it's always hard work and cropping. On the weekends it was always sheep. That's when I'd get to look around my sheep and or do what I wanted to do. So gravitated back towards stock because I actually really like sheep. And so the daughters spend a lot of time on the weekends with me and that's where they'd probably pick up the keen interest for farming, I think. Because the only way they could see me, because I was a bit of a workaholic, was actually spend time with me on the weekend looking and doing sheep work. So now they've, I don't know why, but they've got this interesting farming, which is pretty pretty good, really. Yeah, some, and I shouldn't generalise, like they should go and do what they want to do um, and and have a look around. Like we're not going to force them into agriculture, but um, if that's the way they want to go, we'll certainly, um, certainly help them that way. Yeah, it's exciting, I reckon. It's uh, very cool looking at, at your business and... Just having a look around your yards and in the office. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah, I find it very exciting. Like, I just love everything to be perfect. Like, I love good crops. I love seeing them come out of the ground and nurturing them all the way to harvest. Um, I love my um, my staff to be happy and go to work with a smile on their face and go home with a smile on their face. Um, and at the same time, I love the machinery to be looked after A1, like 100%. And that's been probably one of the hardest things to replicate. Um, when you've got one thing and you can polish it yourself, it sort of stays good. But getting other people to do that can be a bit challenging, but our culture's really good and I think they know what we want. and They actually compete now to have the best machine. And Yeah, if it wasn't all perfect, I wouldn't actually bother doing it. Look, I'm not in it for the money. It never has been about money. It's always just been about perfection and being the best and try, yeah, trying my hardest. It's actually not about money. As a contractor, I think that would give your clients a heck of a lot of confidence in that you guys are turning up to do as good, if not a better job, than what that farmer is trying to do for themselves as well. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's a very big part of why it's been reasonably successful is because my customers can trust me and absolutely do trust me 
And you know, my father taught me one of his main things that he taught me was just do what you say you're going to do and that's what I do. So my staff know that and my customers know that and that's one of their main drivers in the business and so my customers actually trust me. Like once they've had a go once with us, normally there's just no uh, looking back from there because I have the ability and I do look at things from a farmer's point of view so I'm as keen as any farmer to get my wheat off when it's ready and so that's what we do like me and the farmer and my staff join as a team and we are a team to get the farmer's wheat off because I can see it from his point of view not from a contractor's point of view that just wants to make money as I say, I don't care about money at all. And I've got a financial advisor that comes every week and feels sorry for me. And the reason he comes is because he does feel sorry for me, but he'd hate me saying that I actually don't care about money at all. It's about happy faces and good crops. So it's crazy. Heck of a driver. It's good. Yeah, it's a weird driver. And even my bank manager wouldn't like me saying that, but whatevs. It's got me this far. Well, and I reckon if that approach is, um, has been keeping people supported, keeping people within your business and keeping on getting crops off, well, then it's probably a pretty good formula to keep doing the same thing. Yeah. It's all built on trust. Like, we don't have to quote. We don't, you know, we just, we just love to do the job and then have a few beers, a bit of wine. As we're getting older, we drink wine instead of beer and have a good time. That's what it's all about. And I... Heard along the, the rumour mill, it's a small place growing, growing in Australia, but um, a few of your blokes managed to keep the Hebel Hotel in business last, uh, last summer, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. Um, <laughs> saw a few Snapchats about that, and I, I, I went and helped them once or twice, <laughs> but me getting a little bit older, it's just, just one night of that's enough. Uh, one night of one night at North Star with one of my main customers is enough too, and he'll know who that is, the bugger. Uh, yeah, we used to be able to handle two nights. Now we can only handle one. <laughs> <laughs> On your farming business, can you run us through a little bit of what you guys are, are growing? And you've got yeah a couple of different enterprises, but what's been happening there over the last five or so years? Yeah, so the farming business is ticking along nicely. Um, we. We don't have an in-house agronomist, but we have a private agronomist that gives us good independent advice. Um, we've got a really good farm manager that's been with us for a long time and he's handing over the reins to some younger, um, like my daughter and her fiancé. And the farming business is going really well. We grow probably two-thirds wheat and then the rest is canola and beans. Store all our wheat for and distribute it during the year to a couple of big customers and it works really well and for you guys you've we're here at banningill which is a property you guys acquired a little while ago but was this a dream property having grown up in the area or was it opportunistic or how did you guys end up here um i actually don't know how we ended up here i guess we were just i've always expanded in land a little bit and I'd had, I'd had the keys taken off me to buy land by my wife because of debt, and that was fine. Um, but when Banningill come up, all of a sudden, I was given the keys and the door was open, and I was, it was um, when have you got it bought yet? So I had to man up and 
uh, yeah, we we put a deal together with some other like-minded locals and managed to um, to buy Banningle, which was really good. It was a bit of a good news story where it was corporates had come in and had purchased the property and taken it out of a family farming operation and then it was the power of a few local families, which would have been pretty cool to be part of. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, like, it's good that we've been able to buy it um, back again. The The corporates were doing a lot of land improvement and were looking after the place in some fashion and, you know, every everything has its place. But, yeah, we're just glad and lucky we were able to buy it. We were doing the contracting on it, so we sort of knew the ins and outs of it and all the areas and um, COVID took a fair place in us being able to purchase it. Funnily enough, we um, we bought it right at the start of COVID when no one knew what was going to happen in the world. So I think um, the people wanted to sort of rein back a little bit and as well as that, no one else could get a look at the place. So we were able to sort of jump over the fence and with the knowledge of contracting on it. Um, we were able to give a good number to buy it and and was successful. So it probably took a year to do, but, yeah, it was, it was a good thing. How have you approached the ability to grow your farming business through either purchasing land, leasing, selling? You mentioned you only have sold one block of land over the years. So, yeah, how, how have you been able to grow, kind of, your, I'll say, your portfolio of country? Uh, by borrowing heavily because I don't worry about money so um, probably always having a very low equity level um, which is probably why my wife suggested I should stop for a while and <laughs> everyone else around me um, but I, I guess any spare money I've got we we, we do I, I like to put into um, land because I know it's a, an appreciating asset and it has really helped us up till now that's how it roughly works for you guys farming in this southern region, is this definitely where you see your future and do you want to continue growing? Yeah, this southern region's um, been really good to us. It's, it has undertaken a big change since of since we started here. It was all sheep um, and we sort of helped turn a lot of it to cropping. Whether that's good or bad, but that seems to be the way the whole area's gone. Um, we were sort of one of the first air seeders in the area and then... Um, bulk grain and then we put a lot of raised beds in turned a lot of farms from sheep farms to cropping either through contracting or our own farm acquisition either way uh, yeah quite a lot of farms we've pulled a lot of fences out my father calls me the farm wrecker because we go in and we more or less we buy a farm and we just um, pull every fence out and then maybe refence it how we want it if we want fences um, and now each farm's more or less called a paddock. So, yeah, we might have 20 paddocks out there, which are sort of 20 what used to be little farms. Yeah, okay. And that's sort of how it works. And is it a trend you kind of see continuing over the next little while for this area? Is these the, the cropping farms are just going to continue to consolidate and get bigger paddocks? Yep. Yeah. yeah, like it or not, I see, like from what I've seen in Australian agriculture or in agriculture in the world, it is you either get big or you get out. You sort of, you'll get steamrolled if you if you stay the same size. I've seen it in every area of Australia. 
it's just the way agriculture is going, really. Um, like the shortage of staff, if that's a thing, and everything else. Um, you can buy big machinery and do the same thing. Autonomous tractors will be the next thing that come in and, and all of a sudden one farmer will be able to farm 50 or 80,000 acres or whatever it is. Um, that's just the way it's going. So yeah, you do have to keep expanding. Um, I've been lucky enough to be one of those in our area that did get through. There's probably, you know, there, there might only be six or eight big farmers in our area soon. And at the moment I'm one of them and that's through contracting. I think contracting... Um, it helped me to understand scale. If I hadn't got out of our own area, I wouldn't have realised that one person could be in charge of five or 10,000 acres. I always thought when I was young that uh, one person had over 1,000 acres. So that's one thing contracting's taught me is scale and also learning off those really good managers, what they did right and wrong, and then picking out the right bits and then going back next year for a snapshot of how the farm's going and see whether that idea worked or not. You mentioned the autonomous tractor piece. So will we be touching the crystal ball? Will that be something that you'd be pretty keen to look at implementing and trialling in the early stages? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, looking back in time, we had the first jet stream grouper in Victoria as a family. My father bought that. And then he had the first Trefland Incorporator which was an old jet stream harrow bar with a sprayer on the front. It gave him cancer, by the way, so I wouldn't recommend that. But uh, Then we were you know, into air seeders and raised beds in this area, so I think the next thing is, um, yeah, autonomous tractors will certainly be the next. And one of my staff members, he's not getting bored, but he, he loves the next thing, and he's, he's an electronics man, and he loves... He loves mucking around with bits and pieces, so it's it's actually his job to track down and get us an autonomous tractor on our farm, at AS, like ASAP. So that's that, really? that's his role in the last six months, as well as his other job. But part of his role is to get us going on that. So so we are chasing in that direction. Like we do want to be there, one of the first people. And is that something which is taking him around the world to go and track them down, or? Well, not yet, but he's he's starting to, yeah, yeah. But he's doing a lot of looking into it, and um, yeah, we'll see how he goes. Oh, that's exciting! I might have to keep pushing him a bit, but we'll see. Well, you might have to egg him on, so you can get a bit of a trip as well. I might have to take him with me over to Canada somewhere, and yeah, yeah we'll see how we go. Oh, if you've got a spare spot, I reckon I might throw yeah. my hat in the ring too. Yeah. <laughs> a question which I've been asked to ask you is around. Your love of vintage tractors, and yeah, what, what's where did that passion come from? Oh, that's a that's an interesting one, isn't it? So, my love of vintage tractors comes from the fact that I actually, uh, me and my wife, what did we have? We had nothing, so we went and actually bought a a vintage tractor, which we thought was a real tractor, and then I actually drove it day and night, and put as many clothes on I could, and just drove and drove and drove and drove. And I thought it was actually a real tractor, but it was a vintage one. So then after that tractor helped me, I guess I started buying more so that I could do more work. And we actually use quite a few of these tractors in our business, but I have, I have great respect for them because they actually helped us get going and helped a lot of farmers in WA and all over Australia get going. So I just don't get around the idea of something helping you and then just throwing it under a tree and letting it rot. So I... So as I've been all around Australia and I contract everywhere, 
I I always um, find an old tractor or header. I've got an old header collection too. And brought them all back here and put them in sheds and look after them. Um, yeah, we've got tractors from every state in Australia. And everywhere my truck goes to take a header somewhere, he always brings a backload back, <laughs> much to my wife's disgust. <laughs> but if I work hard, I figure that's my prize for the year, buying a tractor or two. Yeah, I love it. And, um, yeah, we look after them and have, have a lot of fun, do a bit of tractor pulling and just, just do them up. Do you tractor pull just within your farm and within your crew or do you take them to... Oh, we used to do a bit of tractor pulling back when I was younger. Now I probably don't have time and probably focus more on my family. But in general, we just have a lot of fun with them. Got a few old Lands Bulldogs and Chamberlains and all sorts of things. Quite a few John Deere's from all over the place. That's cool. Bit of fun. Yeah. My truckies love it. They love going and finding tractors. Gives them something to do on the side. Yeah. About 10 years ago, one disappeared from a clearance sale, so I banned myself from buying any more till, uh, till we found all our tractors that we had bought. And so that took about a year to round up about oh, 10 tractors from all over everywhere. And then as soon as we got all the ones that I'd bought back, then I could start buying again. So, yeah, couldn't have anyone pinching any tractors on me. Well, I might have to get a few photos of this so we can see. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're pretty good. Couple more questions. Where do you see um, where do you see Bingham Agriculture heading in the next five or so years? Yeah, so we've always been like I've never tried to grow. I guess we've just grown with really good customers, um, and um, I don't know how to say no. So I guess slow and steady growth. I, I think we've grown five or ten percent every year, and we're just happy to do that because then you keep all. Everything else in tune, like your middle management and all your other structures, keep up. If you have too big a growth too quickly, then something will let you down. So we're not wanting to grow, but we do keep growing and we're not afraid to. Um, just slow and steady. Same as land side of things, we'd, we'd like to build up a bit more equity and then it's time to go again. Um, hope Jill's not listening to that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit banned at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that's keeping you working in agriculture, Dan? Oh, pure passion. I just love it. That's what gets me going, and it always has, and, and nothing else. Like um, Now I'm starting to focus towards I love to train my children in it and also other kids. I love that. So every harvest, you know, we, all, we have our farm crew, and we make sure that we're um, training a few young people to do that. I'm very passionate about that side of things. Now, the fast five, these are five questions we're asking everyone. It's not who can ask, ask, answer them the fastest, but <laughs> what's your favourite grain-based dish? Oh, spaghetti bolognese um, at Lake Como in Italy. Who would be three people you'd invite around for spaghetti bolognese at Lake Como in Italy? <laughs> Hardy from North Star, probably my mum. And, yeah, Jill would be there anyway. Yeah, yeah, probably Hardy if I could handle it. <laughs> Don't know if I could handle it, though. One night. <laughs> what was your first job? Uh, grape picking at Merbeen, fo- followed by shearing and also working in a factory. What's something on your bucket list? Oh, I think I'm doing it. I think um, 
this is just perfect. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I just love what I'm doing. Yeah. Done deal. Well, Dan Bingham, thank you so much for coming and having a chat to us about your business and what's happening in your world of grains. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for listening. I hope you um, pick up some of the passion that I've got. It's definitely there, I reckon. I just love it. Mm. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for joining us for the GRDC In Conversation podcast. This series is a GRDC investment that's sharing the stories of the people who are living and breathing the Aussie grains industry. Make sure you check out some of our other conversations and hit follow on your favourite podcast app to never miss an episode.